Welcome to a Miami Heat five-game winning streak edition of the Miami Sports Pod. Clay Ferreira here, Dookie Lang alongside, and Will Manso getting some hard-earned time off. And by hard-earned hard time off, I mean he's analyzing the Heat game right now on Fox Sports. <laughs> as we're, You're as going we're down, Manso. This. Yeah, seriously. Um, so this was one of those games that felt like it was going to be just like one of those games, right? Like... Once again, the effort from the start, and, and when I say, you know, the game that we're talking about is is the Wizards game. I know you guys may be listening to this a little bit later on in the week, but I felt like it was important to to focus on this game a little bit for a few reasons. Number one, because, Dookie, I, I feel like the same issue that has popped up over and over again on the road popped up once again, but then the Heat's two biggest stars right now and I mean that, the two biggest stars on this team right now stepped stepped up and took over down the stretch and won them this game. And they brought the energy and effort that had been lacking in so many of these road contests and was lacking for three and a half quarters of this game. But their two biggest stars right now... LeBron and Wade. <laughs> yeah. Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson stepped up and won them this game. And I, I thought that it was one game that maybe they'll be able to look at down the line and look, I know this is not a good Wizards team, but one where maybe at some point the identity of this team maybe changed just a little bit to where down the stretch, whereas before it always felt like, all right, just Jimmy Butler throw his body at the basket and hope you get fouled. In late-game situations, maybe now you may be finding something a little different you can go to. Well, I think this road problem that the Heat have is real. Let's let's start from that, okay? I think heading into a game like Washington, playing a team like Washington, which is basically Beal or bust, right? That's that's what they essentially are. He he was averaging like 38 points in his last 8 games, but the rest of their team is terrible. But the Heat don't play at their normal level when they go in to play bad teams on the road for whatever reason. We can energy and effort sound good Maybe they don't get as many calls. Fine. They don't play as smart as they usually play. They just don't look like the same Heat team. So why is this significant? Why do we care? Because if this Heat team is actually going to be successful in the playoffs, if they're even going to win one series in the playoffs, they need to be able to play well on the road. Because if they don't play well on the road, they leave themselves zero margin for error at home. So if they want to go into a best-of-seven series saying, We're going to have home court in the first round. We're going to win our four home games. Doesn't matter what we do on the road. That's fine, maybe. That may get them through the first series, but then they're going to be the road team starting in the second series. So if they don't get it together, if they don't figure out whatever it is, and it's very hard, it's it's this nebulous it that is hanging over this Heat team on the road that on Sunday night against Washington they were able to figure it out, and we'll dissect in a moment exactly why, but more generally, it doesn't, makes sense for an Eric Spolstra coached Pat Riley built team to have issues with energy and effort but I think those are fair criticisms when you look at a lot of these road games you know what I think they really need on the road 
our sponsor today, Vera Motors, because if you're going to hit the road, you want to go to Vera Motors, because when you spend your hard-earned money on a car, go to a place with a reputation, and I promise you, Dookie Line, there is no business in the state of Florida with a better reputation than Vera Motors. Vera, Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Pembroke Pines, the Vera family, of course, has been serving South Florida for 60 years. You've heard their name a lot. There's a reason for that. For the best deal in South Florida, the best service, it is Vera, Cadillac, Buick, GMC, 300 South University Drive, three miles north of the stadium in Pembroke Pines. What I find interesting about the energy and effort thing with this is that after games that they lose on the road, they will tell you that this is their problem. They will tell you, hey, we didn't bring enough energy. We didn't play with the level of urgency that we need to play. Jimmy Butler said this the other night that, you know, they don't bring the same same level of effort and energy. And I said five-game winning streak, and, and you know, obviously I – uh, forgot about the New Orleans Pelicans game right there, but you heard Jimmy Butler saying it after that game that they don't always bring the level of effort and, and energy. And, oh, by the way, you can uh, make a notation there that Clay realizes he screwed up and completely Oh, I, see, I, was, I, I let New it go Orleans once. I'm going to let it go twice. Um, We're humans. Yeah, if, uh, I, it, something felt wrong about it when I said it. Yeah, I was anyway. excited about their about their five out of six game, five game winning. This is why we need Will back. Yeah, clearly. He can keep track of the wins and losses. I've That's got three right. children at home that keep me away. Um, but uh, what's anyway? <laughs> what's weird about this to me is energy and effort are they're things that you can fix. They're things that you you if you know it's a problem and and you know that this is a group. It's not that they are unable to bring effort in general, right? Like if you've got a group of guys that's just lazy. Then okay, like you can say energy and effort is a problem, and maybe that's just their DNA. They're a group of lazy people. This is not a group of lazy men. It is a group of guys that hey, they were getting up at three thirty in the morning, and and I know people made jokes about that, but the energy and effort level at home is not a problem. So you know that it's not something that is in their DNA that they just can't bring energy and effort. And yet, for some reason, when they're in a different zip code than the three hundred five. They become a completely different team. And to me, I it's the most baffling. And there have been a lot of baffling Heat teams over the last few years. This element to me may be the most baffling because at least the last few years teams you could look at and say, okay, there's a talent deficiency there. This team, it's it's not a it's not a talent problem. It's not an energy and effort problem all the time. It is very specific to one thing that we know they have the ability to fix, and yet they do not. It's funny because when I think about this problem, I go to the, I start to think about some of the basketball cliches, right? The conventional basketball wisdom. So what is the conventional basketball wisdom about playing on the road? When you watch playoff games, what, are this, what do they say conventionally about road teams? They say that role players don't travel as well that your stars travel but in a playoff series your role players don't play as well I don't think that's the issue with the heat I just think the entire roster for whatever reason I don't know if it's a sense of of security that they're gonna figure it out because they're playing lesser teams it's just they're they forget that energy and effort and heat defense in their luggage I mean, that, that's basically what happens. So what happened on Sunday night? Why was Sunday night different than most other nights? Well, Jimmy Butler hurt his toe, right? At, at this point, as of Sunday night, we don't know the exact extent of the injury. We're told it's not serious, but you never know with these sorts of things. Uh, Jimmy, after the game, said he couldn't move like he wanted to move. He had had a previous problem. He compounded it. So what did the Heat do when they had a terrible third quarter? They were down in the fourth quarter. They kept things very 
very simple. They gave the ball to Bam. They gave him space. They let him make plays. And he made plays. And Washington couldn't stop him. They couldn't single-team him. They couldn't double-team him. And the Heat won. It was very simple. They ran everything through Bam. And that was the ball game. And sometimes simplifying things. And it wasn't like Spo was mixing things up. I think it was 86-84 that came out of a timeout. The first play they ran. They and, went, and let me cut you off really quickly because we give you a hard time on this podcast a lot of times. You do? You, you tend to be sometimes the foil on here. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have to give you credit where it's deserved. When they went into that timeout, you said they need to just give the ball to Bam in the high post and let him go to work. And so I watched that, and and they went to Bam in the high post, and it worked. They did it the next eight possessions. They did, and and David, they scored, I want to say it was six straight possessions and maybe seven if you count free throws and shots made. And and so to your credit, you called that, and to Spoh's credit, he knew it was working, so he didn't go away. And to Bam's credit, he was the star they needed. To your point about role players playing well at home, stars playing well on the road, this was Bam jumping into that role. So I would say first me, then Bam in terms of credit. No. No, but (laughs) – okay, so here – This is why we make you the foil because we can't deal with you after that. No, but but when you look at Bam, here's why I thought that was the better play. For him, when he gets under the foul line – Okay, let's just think about it because sometimes it's hard to visualize the geography of a basketball court. Just picture the free throw line. When Bam gets the ball underneath the free throw line towards the basket, it's almost like there's a new level of indecision for him because he doesn't have enough room to dribble and he doesn't necessarily have the confidence in his post moves to start making post moves because he's a little too far out. But when Bam extends a little further out from the free throw line and he faces up against the basket and he can now triple threat, he can shoot, he can pass, and he can drive. When you give him just a little bit more space, he becomes a playmaker. And after the game Sunday night, Spo said that Bam was functioning as their point guard Mm -hmm. and he tends to make good decisions. Washington does not have good defense. So for the first two or three possessions, they tried to single cover him. Bam had space, Bam dribbled. Bam drove, Bam scored, Bam got fouled. Then Washington made the correct adjustment. They started to double-team him. But Bam is just about seven feet and can throw it over most double-teams. And the Heat happened to have a couple of lethal shooters. So what happened? He threw it over to Kendrick Nunn for a three. He threw it to Duncan Robinson for a three. He made the right basketball play. Bam was their point guard. He can do that role. He just needs a little more room for whatever reason. The next evolution in Bam's game is going to be getting more comfortable from the foul line in. But at this point, he just needs that little bit of space where he can put the ball on the floor and he's a much better player. And he did it again and again and again and again against Washington. And by the way, if by some chance Jimmy Butler doesn't play on Wednesday, they should keep running that play because that looks to me to be the spot where Bam is most comfortable. So let's project to the playoffs then, right? Because I hear you say this, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what is it that that Washington could not do that potentially other playoff teams that the Heat may face in the postseason could do? And – I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, if you've got Bam Adebayo in the high post, you know that he's got that that one quick first step. You and put he Giannis will blow on him. By. Well, and that's okay. So Milwaukee has Giannis. Yeah, so you put Giannis on him and that, that I, he's I not agree. doing that. Philadelphia, 
it would be interesting because maybe they maybe they try Ben Simmons, maybe yeah. they try Al I think, Horford, I maybe they try they but or they mix is, it up. They throw a lot of different bodies at him. Point is, all, all all of those guys, Joel Embiid, all of those guys are better options than anybody that Washington had. That's right. So, um, and the other one I was thinking of was was Indiana. I mean, it, could Miles Turner slow him down in a play? I, potentially, but I, I think the point here is that. This was a play that worked specifically in this one situation where Washington had no answer. I'm not sure that it's necessarily a sustainable go-to play over and over and over again in the postseason yet. I think once Bam develops that mid-range shot a little bit more, it will be because then, you know, it, right. how, what do you take away from him? Um, but but talking about the right now... Well, you also didn't have Jimmy Butler. So, no, so that's, no that's I get why... you. No, but, but, and this is where I'm going with this. It is a new tool in the toolbox for this offense down the stretch. It's no longer just Jimmy Butler going full speed at the basket and throwing his body towards other human beings and hoping to either get fouled or find somebody open on the wing, you can go to Bam now. Or you can bring Bam in the high post and have Butler as an option. And then you've got so many shooters on the floor yep. that it there are a number of ways now where Spoke can go down the stretch to where they're not as predictable. So this idea of point Bam, right? We had point justice, which we talked about for two years, where everybody's like, okay, well, Justice Winslow can't shoot, but when he gets ahead of steam... Let him play the point, and he can distribute and facilitate, and, and that's fine. But I think the perception and the discussion of Bam as a point guard has been full court. I think most people are thinking about it in terms of Bam grabs a rebound on one end, gets ahead of steam, and can bring the ball up the court, take it to the basket, distribute, where you give him the full 94 feet to work with, right? Yep. yep. This is a half-court option. Yeah. With Bam, which changes the entire Heat offense. And by the way, I think he do it full court as well. I think we've seen him do well, it full and, court. And but I know what you're saying. No, I know what you're saying. You, he can do both. Right. Yeah. And full court has been it, the full the evolution of the full court has been essentially the Heat encouraging Bam. Right. When he grabs a rebound, he doesn't have to give the ball up right, right away. That he can dribble. He can he can drive. He can push tempo. He can distribute. Which. I mean, let's be honest, is somewhat counterintuitive to 100 years of NBA basketball. When Kareem Abdul-Jabbar grabbed a rebound, what was his job? Give it to Magic, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the common perception of what a big guy is supposed to do when he gets a rebound. But with Bam, and in 2020, in this new NBA where it's all about space and pace, mm-hmm. it's get it and go. Yep. That you don't have to wait for the little guy because you have a good handle. That you can then start the offense and put pressure on the defense immediately because there's a seven-foot Mack truck coming right down the middle of the court. But the Heat sometimes get jammed up in that half court. Yeah. And the question is, I think, for a playoff series, okay, in an ideal world, when the Heat get to their playoff series— they're going to have Tyler Hero out there. Mm-hmm. Very true. In an ideal world, when the Heat get to their playoff series and they need a bucket, I'm sorry, but Duncan Robinson is going to be out there because he's he's right now the best shooter on their team and one of the best shooters in the world. And, and by you're, the way, you're he, not benching him. His defense is also improving, and and I think plus he showed some toughness on Sunday. He, he, he pushed. Someone. You don't want to mess with that guy. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, you were in editing, and I, I meant to tell you this before we started recording. That was his roommate at Michigan. Oh, okay. So, I knew it was a Michigan thing. So he yeah. was. He said, "Yeah, he knows that again under my skin." And, and so they were kind of like I gotcha. going back and and so that little push was like two buddies. Yeah, I got. Gotcha. And the official just happened to catch and it. And so he was like, "You don't get right, it. right, right, right." So, so that was that was 
<laughs> That's but funny. When you see it out of context, no, it's hilarious. It's the weakest shove that I have seen. I my three year old shoves her yes. sisters harder. No, you almost than Duncan you, Robinson. I saw you go to give him a timeout, which I thought was really <laughs> weird. Yeah, and then I realized that he wasn't as right. strong as as my children. Um, but uh, so okay, so you have Duncan. So my point: the playoffs, right? Duncan, Tyler Hero, <laughs> Jimmy, Bam. Yep. yep. And question mark. At at that point, right, right, and, and I mean it's going to be matchup based as well. Maybe Goran, yeah, okay. Yeah. So and, let, and you're talking offense. I'm, ta- defense I'm too. talking. They're trying talking, to score. Right, I'm right, saying right. they need a bucket. Right. So you have Goran, who's a good three point shooter. Yep. You have Tyler Hero, who's an excellent three point shooter, really good player in the clutch. Yep. You have Duncan Robinson, who's the best shooter on mankind. Yep. You have Bam, who can help facilitate, and, and Jimmy, who can help facilitate. Yeah. And rebound. Yep. That's a good offense. It is a good offense and, down the stretch. And, and so the question, the question becomes. If you have that offense, right? Let's just take that lineup. The goal should be to get the shooter shots. Yep. And so what has happened previously a lot for the Heat has been either Gorin as a facilitator trying to drive, mm-hmm. trying to get fouled, trying to kick out, trying to do some sort of something funky, or Jimmy putting his head down and going to the basket. Bam has not been considered the point guard in that half court late Got to get a bucket situation. Mm -hmm. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? The Heat needed something on Sunday. They were having another bad performance on the road, and Jimmy was out of the game. Goran wasn't playing well. Tyler Hero wasn't there. So what did they do? They they said, you know what? Let's take point bam and shrink the court in half and try it. Okay, so let's and do this. Worked. Let's do this exercise again. Then say you get down to those late game situations in the playoffs and you know, at Philadelphia. And we knew this, by the way, about Philadelphia coming into the season that maybe it would take a while for their offense to click and for their to, for them to figure out the fit. And oh, by the way, it has. But we felt like defensively, this group was going to be really, really tough, and they are. Um, and who knows, maybe they'll figure out the offense between now and the playoffs when Ben Simmons and Embiid get back. So if you're facing a Philadelphia in the fourth quarter, they're the one team I think that that having that versatility may not help you as much. Okay. Because, like, let's just say hypothetically, right, you've got four guys, let's say five guys, the five defensive guys that, that Philly could throw at you in an offensive-defensive switch, assuming guys are healthy. Mm-hmm. Embiid, Simmons... Josh Richardson, yep. Tobias Harris, yep. and he makes a billion dollars. Yeah, and Horford, That's and and so you've got you've got five guys who are really and, and Horford's taken a little bit of a step back defensively, but I still think that you put him on a big man late, and and he just knows how to defend guys. So I think that's the one team where because let's go back to your original point, right? That you want to get the shooters open. What needs to happen for one of those shooters to break free? is whoever is guarding Bam in that situation needs to get some help. Because if whoever it is can guard right. him one-on-one, then that allows the the perimeter defenders to stay close to their men. Yep. And even if you've got movement, there can be switches and things like that. Um, which is why Bam needs which is why Bam needs that extra little space. True. Because true. too often we talk about where the Heat lose, too often they do go to Bam, but he's too close yep. and he throws up like a little some sort of uncomfortable shot, yep. he's too far out to get the offensive rebound, and you've wasted a possession, and you haven't gotten one of your shooters to touch. Yeah, and this is the next step in Bam as a superstar. Yeah. And 
it's it's coming. It's going to come. I bet you after this offseason, we're going to be having a completely different discussion about you know him being all NBA as opposed to can he make the plays late game. Um, but yes, that's where they are at right now. So Philly is the team where maybe it's a nice tool to have in the toolbox as opposed to a a true go to move. And yet, if you go against Indiana, okay, in theory, if Miles Turner can slow him down, fine. Who's going to stop Jimmy doing right. the exact same thing? Right. Um, and and you go down the list of teams they could potentially face. You know, Boston. You're you're talking about potentially J- Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Um, Boston's a bad matchup. I I really well, think, I really honestly like I, I think Boston for the Heat, I, especially I think Philly's a worse matchup. I think with, I may be crazy. But, I think otherworldly Tatum is just well, yes. I, and Boston plus otherworldly Tatum is is. Is a five game series. Well, look, hey, if if Boston figures out the how to how to get otherworldly Tatum and really really good Kemba Walker, yep. that's a team who can beat anybody in the yep. East. So, but I I don't know that they're close enough to figuring that out yet to to really be that big of a threat. To where I'm not as concerned about the matchups with that as much as I am. That's just a really good team. Uh, Philly to me is. The team in the playoffs with size when it comes to a, a half court versus half court. But, I mean, what, what, obviously we have plenty of time to talk about. It, but I think strictly in the context of what we saw on Sunday night from Bam, which is your point, it's another tool in the toolbox that that they can go to when it matters. I think it changes the team. I, no, uh, I, I think I, you're right. I, I think it's. I, I think. I mean, look at this point in the season. Right, you're you're sixty games in because what was Jimmy one of fifteen? Yeah, in, in late game situations, you're not you're not changing the roster. Right, <laughs> right, that happened. The trade deadline happened. You're not changing personnel, but if all of a sudden one of your two best players figures out a new dimension to his game, yep, that helps. Yep, it's true. And he's got twenty games to figure it out. It's true. It's true. So let's talk then about the guy who he was getting the ball. Uh, and I, I said it partially in jest, but not really completely in jest about who the Heat's second biggest star is right now. And part of that's because Butler's gone through the injury issues, and and you know a lot of what Jimmy Butler brings to the table are things that don't necessarily show up in the box score. To use the old cliche, and and, and he's obviously a very good team defender and all that. And he is ultimately the, the heart and soul of this team. So be completely clear on that. What Duncan Robinson is doing right now is otherworldly. Yep. He he is on a ridiculous tear. And you know what's funny was I was sitting there the other night after he had the game against New Orleans and and the and the game against the Magic, both games where he just seemed like he was unstoppable. And I was thinking to myself, okay, remember when Dwayne Wade had his yeah. jersey retirement celebration and, and the night before he joked with Duncan Robinson, you had one job. About the three point contest because by the, the way, it wasn't just that that he was that that joke had multiple levels. He was also joking about the game that he had the triple double. Now the shot that Udonis hit, the iconic shot where yeah. Wade gave it to Udonis and put his hand up. Right, right. Udonis was the one who helped clinch Wade's triple double. Right, right. But Duncan Robinson had missed one before that. So that's that oh, was part that was part of the joke right. that so Dwayne was, was basically okay, saying go. like, "Hey, Duncan, thanks, dude. You had Once one again, job. You had you, one job. You had one job. You were the shooter. All you had to do you 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 messed up my triple double. You had one job. So it was it was a multi layered stab by D Wade. So as we sit here after the win at Washington, Duncan Robinson, since Dwayne Wade said you had one job, <laughs> Duncan Robinson has made forty out of seventy two three pointers. Oh, wow. 
56 percent and no, simplify he just simplified the, another assist by wade he just simplified the game he just simplified the game for duncan robinson that's it and, he, I, and I have to give I bet credit. Duncan went you know what I do have one job I'm gonna I'm, I'm just gonna hit a bunch of threes well maybe and <laughs> uh, and then uh give credit to Albert Namad on Twitter because he brought this up right now Duncan Robinson is shooting 45.3 percent from three-point range and we're not talking about like a quarter of the way through the year as we sit here tonight there's right. what 17 games left 18 yep. whatever Stephen Curry's best ever three-point shooting season 45.5 percent. Right now, Duncan Robinson is 0.2% behind Steph Curry's best ever season. Now, with that said, the volume is different, and yet it's not so vastly different that it makes this statistically unreliable. Like, what Duncan Robinson is doing right now is crazy, and the thing that I think gets underappreciated about him, and and I was actually on the radio on, on Heat Weekly with Tommy Tig a few weeks ago, and he gave me a hard time when I said this, but I stand by it. What Duncan Robinson does reminds me so much of Reggie Miller and a little bit of Ray Allen in this respect. I'm not saying the guy is on his way to being a Hall of Famer, although who knows. The movement, the movement off the ball, the nonstop movement that you see from Duncan Robinson. And the game is different, whereas back when Reggie Miller was doing this, I remember... NBC would just focus the camera on Reggie Miller on possessions when he didn't have the ball and just follow him running all around the three-point line and underneath the baseline, then back out to the wing, and then back out top of the key, then back under the baseline. And he would exhaust his defender. And then Ray Allen, it was largely baseline to baseline. I mean, you saw him running sprints baseline to baseline over and over and over again, and eventually he'd find an open spot, much like he did against the Spurs in in Game 6 of the Finals. What Duncan Robinson does is... With how the game has evolved right now, the three-point shot is is so critical. It's not necessarily running all over the place, but it's constantly going from one spot to another. Short, quick bursts until he loses his man. And, and his man maybe turns his head once, and then Robinson's open. So we can sit here and say, okay, Tyler Hero is, is better at creating his own shot off his own dribble. Like, if you put him... Mm-hmm one-on-one against a guy, Tyler Hero is going to do a better job with the ball in his hands of creating a little space and getting a shot. Robinson isn't there. But you can't tell me Robinson doesn't create his own shot because what you're seeing over and over again, and this is especially important to your point with Bam in the high post, he can run around Bam, yep. and he can lose his man there, step back just a little bit, and, and he's been wide open. We saw it against Washington, and I think what the Heat are, are going to start to look at here is Instead of just having Jimmy Butler go, you know, all full effort into the paint late in games, does it make more sense to try to work some sort of a two-man there? And Duncan Robinson has put him, put himself in position now where you just look at him differently. You don't look at him as just a guy who, oh, well, you better not leave him open. It's, man, you better put a really good defender and have a really good plan for how to switch on to him and that, in turn, will open up things for other guys on your team. So let me quote two coaches in before I get into Duncan Robinson, okay? One was Eric Spolstra, who basically said 70% of the league didn't know who Duncan Robinson was before last year. So I think part of the reason that people are like, whoa, look at this guy, is because he went the G League route. Because he was from Michigan, which was a big school, but he wasn't a super well-known player. He hit, what, 10 three-pointers last season? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he set the Heat franchise record. 
But this, to me, was even more telling. When the Orlando Magic played the Miami Heat, their head coach, Steve Clifford, was interviewed after the game. And he basically said, and coaches are not usually this honest, he said, this one is on me because I prepared my team, and there's only so much you can do during shoot-around. I prepared my team for what to do with Jimmy Butler in certain situations, and I didn't prepare my team for what to do with Duncan Robinson. And he killed us. And that's and that's coming. So people are starting to notice. Yeah. What I notice, first of all, the purity of his shot. It is elite. It is pure. Yep. It is like watching a re- like. I'm not saying it's Ken Griffey's swing, but when you watch a great player who has a good stroke, whether it's a baseball stroke, a golf stroke, or a three point shooting stroke, the consistency of the release it looks the same constantly it doesn't matter whether there's a hand in his face it doesn't matter if it's a catch and shoot it doesn't matter if he's coming off a screen there is a consistency to his stroke that you're like that guy's a shooter okay that's number one number two when I think about Duncan Robinson because at some point down the line the Heat are going to have to make a decision about Duncan Robinson because that's what happens when you find guys in the G League and you develop guys at a certain point you either pay them or you watch them go play well elsewhere When I watch Duncan Robinson play, I think there is not a team in the NBA, there is not a roster in the NBA that would not benefit from having Duncan Robinson on that roster. That's a weapon. There's not a team. There's no team. The Lakers tomorrow would kill to have a guy like Duncan Robinson. The Clippers tomorrow would kill to have a guy like Duncan Robinson because he is an elite shooter. If you leave him alone in transition, it's a layup for him. And he's, I mean, he took one on Sunday night that was like 34 feet from the basket layup because he's getting that confidence. Yeah. Like it was there. This ability was there. But whatever it is that the Heat have done this season, they have unlocked him and unleashed him. And you can make a strong argument that the last month he's been the Heat's best player. You know, he's now defensively, it's been it's been a work in progress for whatever reason referees tend to make horrendous calls against him yeah. it's it's I, I, that's not an excuse go back clay you posted one play where he was running back on a fast break and he looked at a guy and they call the foul was, i mean it, i mean so it's, it's 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 almost comical but that's something that he's gonna have to improve he's gonna have to improve his ability to stay in games i don't know how you get better at not having bad fouls called against you but he's gonna have to get better at not having bad fouls called against him but his shooting ability his release the consistency, just you say the motion. I agree. There's there's a level of kinetic energy. You know, Spo always likes to talk about how the ball finds energy. That dude's energy on offense, constant energy. But it's just that sniper aspect to his shot. He's just so consistent with it right now that it makes me think that that the Heat really have found something. And guess what? If he has one job, and his one job is to shoot like that. He's gonna he's gonna work for a very long time in the NBA. And this a is a long time. This is different than overpaying to match the Nets offer to Tyler Johnson. This well, this no, is different no. than yeah, no. this is different than falling in love with a few months of Dion Waiters. That's true. And falling in love no. with a few months of James Johnson. What he brings is an elite skill set that is vital in and today's it's, NBA. And it's only and even if it's honestly, even if it's only that one thing that he can shoot from three, pretty much in any situation. He could do it in transition. He could do it in half court. He could do it contested. He could do it coming around screens. A guy who can just elevate and shoot and splash consistently, I'm sorry. If the Heat don't want that, if they don't want to pay that, 
every other team will. And they will. And and this and, is – what they're fortunate of right now is that they're in a position cap-wise where they can make some decisions as far as how to do stuff. And I was curious because, you know, we haven't recorded our uh, – we, we haven't done our live show on Sunday night yet. And one of the face-off questions is about how much do you pay him? Mm-hmm. And the, the guy who comes to mind that is the closest comparison I can think of, somebody who – is a shooter, and at this point in his career, there's not a whole lot else to his game. Like, it's Joe Harris. Yeah. Very, very good shooter. Yeah, Brooklyn. And and so two years ago, he had a, a really good year. He was 17th in the league in three-point shooting, 42%. So not even as good as Duncan. Um, but I think at that point he was 25 years old, so relatively close to the same age as Duncan, and where Duncan will be not this offseason but next offseason when his contract came up. He signed a two-year, uh, $16 million contract. I think it's going to take more than that to keep Duncan. I agree. Um, because I think the importance of the three-point shot has gone up even more. I think Duncan is better than Harris. I, I think his shot is even more pure. And Harris is a really, really good shooter, don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, but at the point when he signed his contract, he wasn't quite at the level where Duncan is now. But I think that at least kind of gives you a bar. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a comparison within the Heat. Okay, Derek Jones Jr. He at some point he's going to come up as a free agent. Mm-hmm. Okay, I look at Derek Jones Jr. What does he do incredibly well? He finishes at the basket. He is a walking highlight. Yep. He is a reigning slam dunk champion. There's a lot of situations where when we talk about closing lineups where he's the guy who's on the wing to try to knock down that three, and he can't. He is not a good three-point shooter. Yep. He is not the type of defensive player who's going to physically impose himself on an offensive player. There are things he does well defensively. He can close out when a guy gets behind him. He has very long arms. He can block some shots. He can sometimes rebound. He does a lot of things very well at times and is still developing. Duncan Robinson has an elite skill today, right now. And I think like when the Heat go down the line and they start having to make decisions, do we pay Duncan Robinson? Do we pay Derek Jones Jr., mm-hmm. for example? And that could be a false choice. I'm not Andy Ellisberg's calculator. I don't know how it's ultimately going to pan right. out. But I use the analogy of Derek Jones Jr. to show you a guy who the Heat might be able to get rid of ultimately because it just won't because he doesn't fit the long-term plan versus a guy who I think has a skill that you cannot let walk. Like that that is the difference between the two of them. Well, and this is this is how how far they've grown in the last few years in that a few years ago they were having to throw big money at players that that wouldn't have gotten it elsewhere. Um, the only reason why Tyler Johnson got that big contract offer from the Nets was because yeah, he he'd played well, but Brooklyn also knew that it was going to be really hard for Miami to match because of the the escalation in salary, and they did, and it ended up hampering them long term. This is a much different situation where the Heat are having to choose among some really really good players, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions because the players are really good. And you're right, you don't know Andy Ellisberg's calculator. I don't either. Uh, from an outside point of view, the fact that you do have another year of Duncan Robinson on a really, really low cap yeah. number with the team option, whereas Derek Jones Jr. is a free agent now, it is probably largely dependent on what other free agents or potential trade pieces you might bring in. But he hasn't shown, like, no, no, it, Derek Jones it, hasn't, hasn't shown, and, and I, 
No, I, I, I like him as a story. I like him as a person. I like him as a dunk champion. But in t- uh, strictly from a, from a basketball, building a team perspective, he hasn't shown a skill or a set of skills that you look at and go, the Heat will not function without that. No. Like when I picture a close, when we talked about a closing lineup, Derek Jones didn't even pop into my brain. No, and he, look, he could be really good. And, and you saw him guarding Beal a bit on, on Sunday yeah. night and did a really, really good job. Um, and you saw him guarding Trey Young and doing a really, really good job. When, when Trey Young went off was after uh, Derek Jones Jr. got hurt in that game. So, Defensively, he reminds yes. me of like Stacy Ogman for some reason. Like well, just sort of that. Like I know which, that's I, very I random, that. but just I, I the length that. and yeah, the, and and sort of and, the and wacky Ogman was, finishes. And, and yeah, man well, and, and Ogman was a much better ball handler. Uh, but I think okay, the the decision is not necessarily. I don't think between Derek Jones Jr. and and Duncan Robinson, it is Derek Jones Jr. and Jay Crowder. Right, and and what I think the. The benefit of of doing something with Jay Crowder potentially could be, number one, he's a more win now player. Yep, uh, and and I think he's he's a little bit closer to what they need right now, if they decide to make uh, you know some moves in the off season. Um, and the other part about that is with Jay Crowder, he's more likely I think to be talked into a one and one deal, mm-hmm. where you offer him one year, potentially with a team option after that. To where you free yourself up, you're not you're not committing 2021 calorie, salary cap space to him. Whereas I think Derek Jones Jr. is going to want to, and, and and rightfully so, somebody's going to pay him, yeah, and and he deserves it. And yet, because of how the team is constructed, I'm I'm not sure it's in Miami's best interest to give him that big. I deal. feel like to the, your point, the regret factor. The I can't let this guy walk. Oh my God! Why did I let this guy go? And listen, right. this could be an all-time swing and miss by me. And Derek Jones Jr. could go on to become a twenty-seven-time All-Star. I just think that the skills that Duncan Robinson has shown, even in this small sample size of the last month, have been more winning skills for NBA basketball in twenty twenty than Derek Jones has shown me so far. Mm-hmm. We, I get you it. know we go out. I, you know I feel bad because we go out on limbs like that, and and that could be a cold take in, in a few years. But maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment. But I just see an elite skill versus a guy who is sort of piecing it together. But even when it comes together, I don't see it as necessarily complementing what the Heat are going to want to do long term. So we've spent about what forty minutes after I botched the top of this pod saying yep. they were on a fake winning streak. Yeah, I think that's enough. Yeah, it's I think that's enough. Uh, but we will leave on a high note. Our sponsor today, Vera Motors. When you spend your hard-earned money at a car, go to a place with a reputation, and I promise you, there is no business in the state of Florida with a better reputation than Vera Motors. Vera Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Pembroke Pines. The Vera family has been serving South Florida for 60 years. For the best deal in South Florida, the best service it is. Vera, Cadillac, Buick, GMC, 300 South University Drive, three miles north of the stadium in Pembroke Pines. Thanks for hanging out. Dookie, thanks for hanging out. That was fun. Yeah, maybe we can give them a fake 12-game winning streak next week. (laughs) That'd be fine. As long as it counts in the standings, I don't care. And uh, maybe when Will comes back next week, we'll go back to being mean to you. I like this being nice to me thing. 